Brent Butt is an actor, director, comedian who starred in the sitcom Corner Gas for six seasons. Now it has come back for a 13 episode run. It's an animated series. In this episode, we delve into his history as a comedian and talk about what it takes to make an animated series. It is a retro whimsical trip down memory lane. This interview makes me smile and I hope it does the same for you. This is Chaotic Creative with Brent Butt. Well, we have lots to talk about. I want to, talk about, to talk about. I want to talk about the animated series. I want to mention first. What do you want to mention? This is visual. Yes. I have. I recently oh. had gum surgery, so I have a, pu a puffier than usual even face. But then you were very brave, very un Mariah Carey like to let us shoot you from this angle. That's that's how you would describe me best, Brett. Un, -Mar un Mariah Carey like. <laughs> I get that a lot. Do you? People see me walking down the street, they go, that's got to be the polar opposite of Mariah Carey. <laughs> Ariana Grande does the same thing, too. She knows what <laughs> angle you shoot her for. People say that to you, too? But I just, I'm self-conscious, because normally I have a big, brown, puffy face. It's yeah. not a big, but then if one side is bigger and rounder and puffier than the other, yeah. self-conscious. I'm riding my pretty boy good looks. But see, that's why it's an animated series. You don't exactly. need to worry about that. You can get as much dental surgery as you want now. <laughs> That's right. I get it for kicks. Yeah. Just for fun sometimes. It's the feeling of Pull it. Pull a couple of molars out. To give you some good drugs. Yeah. Michael Jackson knew how to do it. I'm in show business, damn it. Pull some teeth out. Oh, my goodness. Actually, you know what I found out yesterday? My aunt, no. um, she has no teeth. She's you younger than, well, you didn't know that, but I didn't know that either. But she's like, they're all screwed in implants. Because we were talking about, like, why don't you all get dentures? And they're like, no, you got to get implants. And then she's the thing. And she opened her mouth, and half, like, her mouth had no teeth. And well, these shocked. front six are yes. fake. Are they? Because I, I had I, my whole adult life crazy wolf boy teeth, crazy snaggle tooth, like I was uh, like a, some manner of predator. And they, I, I had choppers like. And when we started Corner Gas, I said, I don't want to be on TV every week with my snaggly saber tooth teeth. Yeah. My wolf boy teeth. So I got five crowns and one veneer. So wait, what's a crown? Crown is like when they gr grind your teeth down and they put yeah. on it and then... So I had, for, for a week, I had like just little bat boy spikes. <laughs> and then, yeah, then they, they fit uh, nicer teeth. Yeah. They take some teeth out of uh, one of the Osmonds, one of the lesser known Osmonds. <laughs> yes. You know, Gilbert Osmond or somebody who didn't make the cut. Yeah. And they pull those teeth out and then they put them on. How much do those cost? I don't know, it was probably 40 bucks a piece. No. I just, a guy in a van did it no. in the alley. Imagine if they actually no, did I don't know what it harvest was. real people's teeth. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that well, that goes on. Well, I, I was reading about like article. This is like the start to a W5 story. <laughs> cut away to like well, I was gonna harvesting just, human teeth. I was just going to say, I was reading an article in the New York Times that how much it cost to buy virgin hair. And it's $2,000. The uh, hell is virgin hair? It's like untreated. It's like undyed. So to buy Indian hair, it's $2,000 a whatever measurement they were using, I don't know if it was per kilogram, and then uh, European untreated hair is $4,000 a kilogram. That's some racist shit right Yeah, there. we'll be right back after <laughs> With some answers. An expose. Yeah, for, forget the animated series. Is W5 even on TV anymore? Yeah, hard hitting, I don't know. I don't think I'm they sure miss is live it up. What show is that? Should I be... Could I be in a squeakier chair? Yeah, don't do that. You gotta sit very still for How's this. How's that Brent? for sound? It's like sound effects. It's, it's like an old guy on a rocking chair in a porch. Well, sound. I remember when we used to do this show live. Uh, what is Live It Up? Live It Up was a uh, show on CTV in the, I think it started in the mid to late 70s. Oh. Maybe ran into the 80s. CTV was around back then? Oh, yeah. Color, you name it. <laughs> and. Um, it was it was a good show. Yeah. It was kind of like 
it wasn't hard hitting pieces, it was more fluffier pieces, but very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the. It might be my hip making that noise. It might not even be the chair. <laughs> it's like you spent all that money on your teeth when you really should have been fixing yeah. your hips. Well, listen, I'm 77 years old now, and these things happen. <laughs> CTV, how has CTV treated you through your career? No complaints. Yeah? Yeah, no, I got no complaints. They've been a terrific bunch to work with. Um, there is part, you know, when I grew up, there were two channels. Right. Right? That's all the channels we got. We didn't have cable till sometime in the 80s, came to Tisdale, Saskatchewan. And then we, my mother wouldn't shell out for it. My buddy Garth had it. But anyway, um, so I had two channels growing up. And so, you know, CBC and CTV was it. Those, yeah. those were my eyes into the world. And so that was your aspirations? You're like, one day, one do you day, actually have those aspirations? I want to be, uh, do, do a remake of Trouble with Tracy. That was a, Is that a CBC that show? Up. Yeah. Uh, How are you, you're like 13 years old. It doesn't I'm, get any reference to that. I'm 40, and usually everything I do is I make 90s references. They, Andrew always calls me out on like making 90s references 90s all the time. References. So oh, uh, stick with yeah. me for a while. I'll be like, making Qbert references. Qbert. Qbert. Yeah. The game. Yeah. See, 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 someone knows what it is. I was talking about it last week, and they're like, "What is that?" I'm like, "It was the video game with Chuck E. Cheese with like the with the Argyle pattern." And they were like, "What are you talking what about?" What are you talking Q-Bert. about? Qbert. Thank man. you. Thank you for validating me. Um, Rock while we talk. Uh, what are the other shows? Uh, I remember. Danger Scrambler. Bay. Danger Degrassi. Bay, sure, that was good. Yeah. But your show, six seasons. Yeah. Corner Gas. 107 episodes. Can you imagine that? What happens? How does that work? Because in America, that's like the golden number to get so you can get syndicated. In Canada, when you hit 107 episodes, what happens? When you hit 100, like, they're like, because what can you be syndicated on? It's not like yeah. there's like. There's no golden anything in Canadian television. <laughs> If you get to be employed, and, <laughs> that's the goal, and make you know gainfully employed, right. make a living yeah. in the business of show. Yes, then that's the that's the golden ticket right there. Did you ever have American aspirations? I did. Like, I kind of there was part of me that always thought that I would probably go down and try the Hollywood thing, and I did. Like in 1992, like I started doing stand up. I mean, I started in Saskatchewan, but I moved to Toronto pretty early on. So I spent about four and a half years in Toronto learning how to become a half-decent stand-up comic. And then I moved down to L.A. briefly yes. to give that a whirl. I didn't really like it much. I always felt The scene I, or actually living in L.A.? I didn't mind living in L.A. I mean, it's not my favorite place in the world to be. But it's um, every, everything is an hour and a half from everything else, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to go down to the store and get some milk. I'll be back at you know, Tomorrow. about 4 p.m. <laughs> so that's kind of a drag. But... Uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't like performing there very much. I always felt like I had to change who I was and what I was doing. It's, I felt like I could do well on stage if I didn't do what I wanted to do. It was kind of like that. If I played their game, I could have good sets. But I felt I had to, I don't know, the way I talked or something, I had to change that, my references. You can't make a Mr. Dress-Up reference down no. in L.A. So all your frame of reference is all different, you know? So I, I kind of felt like, oh, this is kind of, it's a sham. <laughs> Mr. You know? Dress-Up just yeah, you can't change your career there to you doing a show in Compton. Yeah. Hey, anybody like, but you guys a big Mr. fan of the Friendly Giant? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, there's no so, reference for that either. So, you know, what happened was yeah. I had to come here back to I had to come back to Canada to do some stand-up work I had a bunch of work booked in Vancouver this yes. is like February of 1993 yeah. and I thought you know what Vancouver seems like such a beautiful city 
I never spend any time there. I always fly in, play a club, and leave. But it seemed beautiful, and I had some friends who were here. So I thought, I'm going to hang around Vancouver for a couple months, two, three months, check it out, yeah. see my buddies. That was 25 years ago. I never left. What area do you live in now? Oh, very nice try. What? You wanna <laughs> We're going to come and like, hang out at your stalk house? Stalk me. Um, you know, Kits, I've, just, I've, I've yeah. lived in Kits for the last 10 years. Yes. First 10 years of living in Vancouver, West End. Okay. That's pretty common, right? Where a lot of people move to Vancouver. They like move by to the, the beach or like closer to... Yeah, not to... far. Like yeah. Robson and Guilford, just west of Denman. Right. Is this interesting for everybody? It's interesting Where to me. I used to live Forget in the that. corner of Robson and Guilford I used okay. to live. Yeah. Then I moved to Kitsilano. Yeah. And now we've moved kind of just outside Kitsilano. Okay. So it's technically outside Kitsilano, but I can walk from my old house to my new, new house in about... Four minutes. When you're feeling... Oh, okay, now in the kits. Yeah, so... Do you ever drop into the clubs around there and just do unannounced sets? I often drop into the comedy mix on Burrard. That's oh, That's a fantastic nice. club. And that's if you care to stalk me, I live behind that building. Just, oh, yeah? Yeah. I'll keep an eye out. Yeah. I'll, um... <laughs> yeah, I pop up and do spots at the comedy mix because yeah. it's a fantastic club. Tons yeah. of funny young comics there. Right. And um, great crowds. Like, really comedy-savvy crowds. People coming there for the comedy. And generous. Anytime I've seen a show there, people are like... They're not, like me, I'm a bad comic audience because I'm always like, I think something's funny, I'll be like, hmm. But those people are like, That's robust. the best I've ever gotten. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that was a bad response. It's a good one for me. That but... was a high water mark for me. That's the best I've ever got. <laughs> but in comedy makes people are boisterous and they're like, yes, and yeah, even on a no, Tuesday into, night. It's a great, it's a basement, low ceiling. It's like, it's got everything that a comedy club should have going mm. for it. Yeah. What makes a good comic? What makes a good comic? Yeah. Being hilarious is, uh, I can't <laughs> well, stress this helpful. enough. I can't emphasize this enough to all you young comics out there. If you could find a way to be hilarious. Yeah. It's like a rocket ride to the top. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's different for everybody. You've got to find a way to connect to the crowd. Yes. I think authenticity plays into it a little bit. What does that mean to you? Everyone says that. Be authentic. Be yourself. What, it means what does it, that mean to you? Well, what a, I don't know how to make it more plain. <laughs> don't try to be somebody else. Hmm. Try to... When I talk about authentic comedy... I generally mean comedy that you, the creator, genuinely find funny yourself. And then you keep your fingers crossed and you hope that they find it funny too. But you're doing it because you find it funny. Mm. You're not doing it because maybe a crowd will find this funny. right? You do it because you find it funny and you hope that they'll come on board. And that's the sweet spot when you're able to do what you think is funny and you're able to communicate what you find funny about something to that audience, that's the sweet spot. Do comics usually, yourself and perhaps like other ones that you're close to, do they write to be funny or do you think they're writing to just express their point of view? And what's more important? Being funny is more important than anything. Yeah? Yeah. You know, I, I th because you can go on stage and have a tremendous point of view. You can be edgy as hell. You can be, uh, but if it's not funny, what are you doing? You're, you're a lunatic on a soapbox, right? <laughs> Screaming at the birds. Right. You got, <laughs> painted a hell of an image there. But, you, so it's got to be funny. Yeah. You can't, funny's got to come first at a comedy club or go do something else. Go right. make a lovely documentary that gets your point of view across. But, so here's the way I feel about comedy. Hmm. Comedy can be funny with no point of view, and that's enough. Con uh, but you, you can't have a point of view and not be funny, because then it's not comedy. Now, the, the best is when you have strong comedy with a strong point of view. Hmm. That's, that's the best. So that's kind of the uh, high watermark. That's the apex. Hmm. That's the zenith. 
Yes. I'm trying to think of a different ways I can say that. The pinnacle? The pinnacle. Sure. That's it. Well, I took a comedy class a couple, uh, maybe a couple of years ago now, and I think for me the biggest challenge was writing. Just getting clear on thoughts. I felt like I just, I'm like, what's the point? What is my point? Well, you know, we can get up there and like be funny and have laughs and like, you know, feed off energy, but like, what is my point? And I think for me, that's what stopped me from writing. When you write, be it for shows, be it for comedy, uh, uh, even when you're preparing for your own podcast, do you have a process? Do you commit to time to be like, I'm going to write this much every day? How do you go about that? N not really. I mean, a person should. <laughs> I really do think that a person should. Yes. If you're going to write, yeah. if it's screenplays or uh, you know a novel or stand-up, you should write every day. I don't. Okay. There was a time when I did, when I was younger and hungrier. Yeah. Then you start, you make a couple of bucks, next thing you know, your feet are up, right? You're, you're coasting. But um, for me, the, the each kind of thing that I write has its own different way of doing it. Like when I'm writing scripts, then it really is, um, it's kind of mathematical in a way. I kind of say, okay, I got to do 33 pages to get this script done for a half hour. This basically, you know, our scripts are 30, we've, we've since taken a page out, 32 pages for our scripts now. Um, so I said, uh, 32 pages, I got seven days to do it. You do the math, I need to do whatever, 2.8 pages a day, whatever. <laughs> I'm lousy at math. Yeah. I have a calculator in my office. I'll punch it in. Thankfully. I'll get the data back. And I'll say, you have to do this many pages a day. So I say to myself, as long as I do that many pages, I'm okay. Once you get into it, you, you always end up doing more pages than, than you need to. But for, from a script standpoint, it's very mathematical for me, and it's very kind of... Most scripts, there is a formula to it, right? Oh, yeah? Yeah, whether it's a, whether it's a feature film or whether it's a, a TV half-hour comedy script, there's generally, you know, you need an act-out to go to commercial breaks, right? You need to, so you're kind of, you're, there is a structure there. So you kind of, you know, I always say the first step to writing a good script is write a bad script. Right? Step one, write something that's probably not that good. And, and then, then go back and like work on it, it, or just better, like get it, it better. Oh, okay. Yeah, make it better. Make it less crappy every pass. Yeah. So you write a crappy script. Now go through it again. Make it a little less crappy. Now go through it again. Make it a little less crappy. Find the things that are making it crappy, and replace that with those bits with something that isn't as crappy. Eventually, you'll have a script that has stopped being crappy, and now it's not bad. Yeah. Now you keep working until it's finally good. What if it doesn't get good? Then what if there's people out there who are trying to do something? You're asked to leave the business. By they're, whom? They're very politely. They say, can you get out of show business, please? This isn't working. Yeah. You seem like a personable young uh, person, but scoot. Go do some heavy lifting. What if it is something that, say if someone is good mm -hmm. and they can do it, but they're not getting that break. They're not making that. That's more common than... Yeah. Yeah. What do you think people, what would you say to somebody who's trying to start out, uh, or not even start out, somebody's been doing it for a while, and they're not getting that break, they're not getting that opportunity to make the show, to be in the show. Uh, I know there's always, you know, um, value in saying create your own work, but I think after a while, you've got someone who's going to pay you for that work, and that's probably what sustains it. What do you suggest to people to get to that level, make that breakthrough? I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing to say to people is, you say, People say, stick with it, you know. Mm -hmm. But I never tell people to stick with it. Because if you need to be told to stick with it, you probably shouldn't be in the business. This is show business. I'm, there are a few industries like this, I think. But show business, certainly, is one that uh, I think is reserved for people who are going to do it, no matter whether they're making a buck or not. Whether you, like, for me, with stand-up, 
I knew I was going to try to do stand-up. Yeah. And once I saw that I could do it, I knew that I was going to do it, whether I made a buck or not. I mean, the, you know, you don't make much money when you're starting out. But for me, it was, the notion of not doing it was, it never crossed my mind. The notion that I might have to do something else to pay the bills, that's always there. That's like, you know, that might ha happen. But nobody ever had to tell me, you know, stick, stick with it because there's no choice. If I'm not doing stand-up, I'm living a lie, right? And I think it's the same for musicians or uh, writers. You know, most, most musicians in the world, 90% probably, have some other job, right, right, to pay the bills. And then they go out at night and do a gig or they record in their home studio. They're making music because they have to do it. Um, I do stand-up because I have to do it. I, I mean, I love doing it, but I also, I would be miserable so I, I never tell anybody to stick with it because if you need to be told, Get out. you should probably, yeah, if you cannot do it, don't do it. Hmm. What are you doing? Beating your head against a wall for something that you have the option of quitting. Right. You know, get out of it. What do you love about it? I don't know. There's a, there's a million things. Partly I feel like for whatever reason, uh, you know, when I first saw somebody doing stand-up when I was 12, that was it for me. Wait, it was, was on television? Like, yeah, it was on TV. Okay. Tisdale, Saskatchewan on CTV. <laughs> yes. One of my two options. The old Alan Hamill show, <laughs> which became later became the Alan Thick show. It was oh. an afternoon talk show. Did he change his name or they just got a new Alan? No, Alan Hamill left because he married Suzanne Summers. Oh. And he became her manager. What? Right? Yeah, this is. What? The 70s were awesome. Anything, <laughs> anything could happen. Get a perm, a big story on marry, talk. A, wow. marry a superstar, yeah. become her manager. Canadian uh, talk show. Yeah, Vancouver guy. Weird. Um, so anyway, Alan Hamill had a talk, afternoon talk, talk show. Yeah. And then later when he left, Alan Thicke took it over. And now Alan, Alan Thicke left and Don Heron took it over the afternoon yeah. slot. Anyway, it was a CTV afternoon talk show. Yeah. And it was my first wind, window into that kind of thing. And one day I was home from school, summer holidays. And the show came on, and it said, and comedian, Kelly Monteith. I like comedy. I was like, okay, well, let's see what this guy does. I'd never seen somebody just come out and do stand-up, you know. I'd seen comedic sketches, and I'd seen comedic acting, you know, and that kind of stuff. Tons of great sitcoms. But I'd never, just a guy coming out and standing there, talking, trying to be funny. I was fascinated by it, and I also kind of thought to myself, well, that's what I try to do with my buddies every morning before, as we're waiting to get let into school when it's minus 70 outside, and they don't let the kids into the school for some reason in northern Saskatchewan. Abuse. So, um, anyway, from the moment I saw that guy, Kelly Monteith, I, it just, everything just made sense. It was just like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I knew that I was going to try doing that. Yeah. I didn't know whether I'd be any good at it or not, but I knew that I would try doing it. So it just, it just spoke to me. When you do, when you go on tours now, and you still tour, you have a tour coming up uh, throughout 2018. Uh, what's the what's the thrill of that? Instead of just doing local places, what do you love about going to these suburbs? And uh, looking at the list, I feel like that's a lot of. There's a lot of suburbs on your dates. There's not like major metropolis. Well, they're kind areas. of they're, they're kind of cyclical, right? You kind of yeah. do. It, it seems like, and I don't know if there's like I don't do my own booking of booking agencies that do oh, it. Are you it seems fancy? to me like you do a run of you know. Major centers, yeah, 
and then a year later you do a run of secondary markets. Yeah. Right. You can only go back to the each market so often within a certain amount of time, right? Makes sense. Because people are like, we already saw him, we gotta wait now until yeah. he gets a new set. Is are that... you able to do the same stuff you did two months ago? <laughs> right. Probably. <laughs> Principally, yes. A couple new bits, maybe. Um, but I mean for me it's kind of the same whether I'm doing hopping up at the comedy mix to do a spot. Yes. Or you know, playing Massey Hall in Toronto. It's, it's kind of, I mean, Ma I shouldn't say Massey Hall. That was different when I did Massey Hall. Because that's as a live performer in Canada, that's kind of, you know, that when you get to play Massey Hall, you feel like you've done something, you know. Mm -hmm. But whether I'm playing a nice big soft seat theater somewhere or popping up to the local club, it, it, it's kind of the same thrill. It's kind of the same dynamic. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't go on the road to, for a different set of thrills or anything. It's, you know, guys got to make a buck, right? You guys got to make a living. Right. And I'm a greasy nightclub comic, so I go on the road and do shows. Yeah. Um, I produce and write TV as well, but uh, at the end of the day, you boil everything else away. I'm a greasy nightclub comic. How do you choose who gets to come along with you? Ivan Decker, who is a friend of mine, I see he's on, been episode two of your podcast. He's opening for you mm. at the River Rock. Uh, why him? Why is it when you're going I out there? I ask myself that every day. Why? I see him out there on stage killing. Wow, that jerk. Why him? <laughs> no, Ivan's just a guy. I, when I, like I said, you know, you go out to these clubs and yeah. there's tons of local talent. Well, yeah. I remember first seeing Ivan. I went out to do a spot at, I don't think the room, I don't think they're doing shows there anymore. Oh, I think it might have been the Biltmore. Oh. You know the Biltmore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, out like Kingsway kind of thing? Yeah, no, they still do shows there. They, they did, they do shows. I don't know if they're doing comedy there or not. Anyway, whether they do or not. <laughs> Different kind of shows. No, they do. Sometimes <laughs> they do comedy nights there. Yes, they do. Um, <laughs> anyway, I went down there to do a spot. Yeah. And Ivan Decker was doing a show. And it was the first time I really sat down, sat down and watched Ivan Decker. And he cracked me up, busted mm. me up. And I don't laugh a lot watching stand-up. And he, you know, he's just a very fresh, funny point of view. And then I got to know him a little bit. Personable fella. Mm. He's not a jerk. That's, that's what you want in the road. Somebody who's funny and not a jerk. Yeah. Let's go. Let's hit the road. So pretty much there. There you go. His hygiene is beyond reproach. Oh, that's so high the, you know, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's always, you know, I've become good friends with Ivan. And yes. so um, it's nice to be on the road with, that's one of the nice things about you. If you get to a certain level, you can kind of, Pick who goes on the road with you, yeah. as opposed to early on. It's like, yeah, you hop into this van with this schnook and hope you guys don't kill each other by the time you get to Cranbrook, right? Yeah. This is now. It's like, yeah. So I, Ivan Decker, Jamie Hutchinson, you know, one of my oldest friends in comedy. He and I go on the road a lot together. Uh, Graham Chittenden. If I'm going to do a run through Ontario, I'll often tap Graham Chittenden. Funny guys. Guys like that, they're almost too funny to be my opening act, but it's kind of it's good they push you. You can't coast. Because yeah. somebody like Ivan or Graham or you know Jamie, Jamie's been around forever, veteran guys, they go out and they kill. Yeah. You can't go out and be less funny than your opening act. So it it stokes you. You got to go out. You got to go out and be good. You got to bring it. When you talk about evolving, bringing it, evolving in this business, you mentioned certain level earlier. We were talking about when it comes to Canadian stars. Starring in a Canadian-only production, not somebody who went and like started something in America, like a movie or a TV show. I feel like you're the name that people would be like, Brent Butt had his own show. 
we have this animated series, but it's your name. You're like the, I think, I don't think, I can't think of anybody else who'd be up there that has done that. Do you feel like you made it, uh, that there's more for you to do uh, in this business, in the Canadian entertainment business? Like, is this I, I mean, the top? I don't feel like, you know, I, that I don't need to do any more work or anything like that. But partly yeah. because I just Like lo why? I Financially? Love, like, love doing that. Did that set you up, Canadian-wise? Um, like, <clears throat> I always wonder, because I know sometimes when I've been on Canadian TV, people are like, oh, you must be rich. And I'm like, it's Canadian television. Calm down. Yeah. Uh, people often get me mixed up with Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> That I'm getting loads of residuals. You're doing a Vino ads? Yeah. Smart water ads? Yeah, I mean, with Canadian TV, you know, residuals aren't really a thing. You know, right. Every now you get a check for $8.20. Oh, wow. I get did, one, right? a recurring one for one cent every now and then. For like, one cent? Yeah, I'm like, why are you sending this That's to me? That's an insult, right? That's. It's like it costs more to mail I it know. and send the paper than what I'm getting paid. <laughs> So that's not really what it is. Yeah. So, you you know, you got to keep working. But for me, I, I, if I was sitting on $50 million, I would still I would keep working. You know? right. it's, it's like the what same you said way, like with Seinfeld goes, how much is Seinfeld worth? He's got to be worth thousands of dollars, that guy, right? <laughs> Probably. Thousands and At thousands least. of dollars. <laughs> U.S. Yeah. And he still goes out because he just loves doing stand-up. Yeah. So for me, like, you know, I... I the notion of not trying to be funny in front of people yeah. is, uh, that would be uh, misery for me. Yeah. So I think I'll, I'll, always, I'll always do it. Yeah. Was that the question? What a roundabout way to... In a roundabout way. But when we talk about diversifying, like I want to talk about the animated show, but also before that, you're doing a podcast. Yeah. I feel like now, like now it's, everyone's doing a podcast like everyone had a blog before. Now it's a right. podcast. Why did you feel like you are touring, you have an animated series coming up based on your hit sitcom, why do a podcast? Why not, really? It's because it's got, it's very low, easy door to enter into the podcast world, right? Yes. Sure. I already have the gear. I got yeah. microphones and record, sound recorders. I got all the gear, right? Yeah. So, and I, I had been a guest on some of my friends' podcasts, and they're always fun. You know, you sit down with another comic, and you talk about comedy, and, and um, it's, it's kind of like it, there's no cost to doing it. It's an hour to sit down with your buddy, maybe another hour to edit it together if you want to edit it. Some people don't even. I always do, because there is a lot of dead air when you're chatting. Yeah. Um, so... You know, an hour to talk, an hour to edit, and you, you have a show, and then people can listen or not. You put it out into the world, because why yeah. not, right? That's, that's kind of the reason. It's, it's like I get to sit down and talk to funny, interesting people, musicians, comics, actors. Um, with, it's very low risk. There's very, you know, it's just kind of recording a fun coffee conversation. Yes. You know, there's, there's no downside to it. There's no... You know, if I chatted with somebody for an hour and it just was terrible, I wouldn't put it up. Right. There's no downside. So, but to me, it's just fun. Yeah. It's like doing the, the the YouTube. You know, I got all the gear. Uh, you know, I started my YouTube channel as a video companion to my podcast. Yes. But what I found is I'm doing more on the YouTube channel because when I'm on the road... I just bring my camera, it can just be me talking, you know. I can, uh, if I have a spare hour, I can shoot something. But with a podcast, you always need a guest, it needs to be scheduled, there's a bit of logistics to it. You have to find a time that'll work for both of you, be at this place at this time. With, with the YouTube channel, with the ButtPod YouTube channel, I just, you know, grab my camera. If I have an idea for something, I grab it, film it, shoot it, 
throw it up online. So I, so I've I've found that I'm I'm spending more time doing YouTube than the podcast now. You're really trying to become a YouTube star now. Yeah, that's the next thing. Yep. Yeah. Big big YouTube money. Get some of that YouTube cash. Yeah, do what the kids are doing. <laughs> got to get you. Got to get Brent about doing the cinnamon challenge. But it's all it's all. I I eat three tablespoons of cinnamon at a sitting. I don't think you should. Um, I think that's bad um, for you. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done anything that was bad for me. Yeah. That's. I can go to my grave knowing I've never done anything that was bad for me. I don't believe that. I've done, well, it's just all, yeah. Booze and tobacco for the first, you know, 35 years of my life. And then you left the Well, there was a small window at the beginning of that 35 years where I wasn't smoking and being drunk. Right. But a good chunk of the middle there. You were, did you go to Sheridan College or you wanted to go to Sheridan College for I did animation? go to Sheridan College. I got accepted into their animation program. Where is Sheridan? Is that in Ontario? Oakville, Ontario. Okay. <clears throat> and, um, but I left during orientation week. What? I didn't, I didn't go to one class. Wait, did you pay your tuition already? Uh, I had. Did you right? get back when you left? But that was the thing. If I, I, I knew, it dawned on me, look, I got to do stand-up or I'm going to be miserable. Yeah. I don't want to pursue something as a plan B, which is kind of what the notion was, is like, Stand up is a pipe dream. You need something to fall back on. The only other thing that I was remotely interested in was animating, yeah. drawing, illustrating. So I thought, okay, that'll be my plan B. But at a certain point when I got there and I was faced with it, I said, you know what? I, I have to commit to doing stand up. I just got to go do it yeah. no matter what. And so to get my tuition back, basically, I had to get out at a, by a certain time. So I pulled yeah. the plug. So oh. I think I was there four days. Yeah. And I said, listen, you all seem like nice people, but I'm going to. Go be a greasy nightclub comic. How long was the program for? Or would have been? Well, that's a good question. I'm not even sure. Yeah. Three years? Two, two or three How years? How did you, like, what drew you to it? Like, when I was a kid, I actually felt this pull to animation, too. There was a Disney book, The Art of Animation, that had, like, a holographic cover. And I was like, I love this. I want to do this. And then I just kind of, and I wanted to, like, be a comic book artist. And then I just kind of lost interest in it. And then I went the path I went as an interviewer. Right. But uh, what drew you to it? And then made you go... Nope, I want to do stand-up comedy more. Because those kind of don't seem to be related. Yeah, I don't think they really are related. It was kind of, you know, anybody out there has a limited number of skills that they can tap into. And so one of the things that I was able to do well enough that I might be able to make a buck hmm. was draw. Hmm. Uh, I was making a buck drawing. I illustrated. I did um, uh, cartoons for a couple weekly newspapers. Uh, I did graphic art, designed logos, that kind of thing. So I was, I was making... As a teenager in high school, um, I had an office on Main Street where I would, uh, I would, <clears throat> I sold specialty advertising, and did custom graphic artwork. So it, it's kind of one of those things like, well, I'm doing this because I can. I like to draw for fun, but um, yeah, I was like, well, maybe I should do this. You know, I, that here's something I can do for a living. It's not like you know. And then instead, you're like, I'm going to do comedy. Well, comedy is what I, that's where my passion was. Right. That's what I really wanted to do. Um, and so my plan B, my fallback, if stand-up didn't work, was, yeah, probably going to draw. And here they come together now with the animated version of Corner Isn't that a guess. funny old world, how it all comes together? Why, why now? Why after, what is it, seven, nine years? Nine, it'll probably be a decade since it, the original Corner Gas ended. Almost, by the time yeah, this it'll, comes it'll up. nine years before it comes why now? You did the movie, and then... Well, that's really where it came about. We did, the, we did the series. We stopped shooting new episodes of the series in 2009. Okay. And we 
we liked the idea of doing a feature film. It was always like, let's do, you know, let's get back in a few years and do a feature film. And that'll be the cherry on top of everything, you know. Mm. So five years later, we did the feature film. 2014, the, the feature film came out. Well, the response to the movie was bigger than anybody could have imagined. We were like physically selling out theaters, right? My, my brother called me from Calgary. He said, I'm trying to get into your stupid movie. It's all sold out. Mm. I was like, am I supposed to be upset about that? But, um, so the response was, you know, it was like something like 7 million Canadians watched the Corner Gas movie. So CTV just kind of called up and said, listen, there seems to be an appetite still. Do you guys have any interest in doing more Corner Gases? Yeah. Well, I didn't really have any interest in going back and doing the same thing over and over again. Why not? It worked it's so well like, for Will and Grace. It felt like... It's it's getting into a rut, you know. Oh yeah. And everybody's getting older. At a certain point, it's going to look weird. It's like when Gilgan had the white hair, you know. It's like, <laughs> mm. in my case, it was no hair. Yeah. So that was part of it. But really, it was just kind of like, well, if we were going to do it again, I, because you know, the notion of being employed is quite. I like the idea mm -hmm. of uh, being paid to do some kind of work, right? For sure. So we said, if we were going to revisit Corner Gas, how could we do it? deliver what everybody likes about it, but do it in a way that's different and fresh and new. Yeah. And we had talked, my partners and I had talked one time during the run of the live action show about doing a, an animated scene. Yes. We had done a, a Lego scene in one of the episodes of Corner Gas where the characters were Lego. Um, so we talked about doing an animated thing. It never came to be, but, you know, we just started talking about that again. We said, what if, what if we animated this? Yeah. Would it work? One of the writers on Corner Gas, the live action show, one of the writers, Norm Hiscock, also used to write on King of the Hill. So he had adult animation experience. So I was able to go to him and say, listen, we're thinking about doing this. How, how would we translate um, live action Corner Gas to animated? What would we change? What would be? He said, you wouldn't change anything. Just write more scripts. He said, this is the perfect show to animate. It would work great. And so that kind of emboldened us. And so, you know, we had him on as a consulting producer for to the development phase and, and yeah, just wrote more, wrote more scripts. Did it need the success of uh, King of the Hill, Bob's Burgers, to pave the way for a show like this to be uh, received? I, I think that all helped. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, from The Simpsons, you know, on down through all the success of adult primetime animated shows. I mean, that shows that it can be done. So, um, yeah, and the appetite for that is there. Yeah. You know, these shows are doing well. Uh, and you know, at a time when a lot of shows aren't doing well in TV, things are changing. People are digesting their entertainment differently. Yes. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of all the things lined up. Was it important to keep it all Canadian? Like, the whole production is Canadian. Yeah, which is rare in North American for animation, sure. you know. Not uh, even outsourced overseas. Yeah, mo usually it gets sent overseas somewhere, yeah. Korea or somewhere in Asia usually to um, where they have uh, vast armies of animators over there. And uh, just, but for me, for my partners, we wanted, we felt that Corner Gas was a Canadian show. Canadian writers, Canadian actors, Canadian producers. Canadian crew when we did the show live. Let's have Canadian animators. Let's just do this in Canada. Is there any way we can do this in Canada? So that was our goal from the get-go, and we, we managed to do it. So it's a completely 100% Canadian production. Um, it's a BC, Ontario co-production. Everything is done in Canada by Canadians. How did you guys record, like, 
obviously when you do a show with live actors, they're all there in the same space. Usually when you do an animated show, they record at different times, but yeah. you guys actually recorded in real time across the country, yes? Yeah, I always felt that, that one of the, the things that made Corner Gas what it was, one of those little kind of magical lightning in a bottle things that we had with Corner Gas was the chemistry that these actors brought. When they, when they got together and did scenes together, there was some kind of magic there. We, we just felt like we, sh we shouldn't do this without tapping into that magic that these actors can bring. So, yeah, I mean, you're able to have everybody record their piece ind independently, mm. separately on their own time, but the way these, there, there just is something magic about the way these actors bounce off each other. Any two of them, you put them into a scene and it's great, you know. And so we said, well, let's do that. They're, the actors are kind of split up between Vancouver and Toronto in terms of their homes. So we said, let's get all the actors at the same time who live in Vancouver into a Vancouver studio. And all the actors who live in Toronto into a Toronto studio at the same time were connected via, I don't know, some kind of a wire, yeah. I think. Maybe a satellite. Like using Skyping. And um, so we're doing it all in real time with each other. We're acting with each other because uh, I just feel like we would really be missing something if we didn't do that. And I think people would, I think people could tell. You know, when when Hank and Wanda ha are getting into it with each other, there's something magic there, right? When Brent and Oscar are getting into it with each other, there's something magic there. When we we just had connections that I think if we if we did it piecemeal, everybody could tell. I think I think whatever chemistry was there wouldn't be there, and the show wouldn't be what it could be. When we think about all the things that you accomplished, the stand-up comedy the podcast, the show, what would you say um, allowed you to take control of your career in the entertainment biz? Show business is difficult to navigate, but is there something that you attribute to not waiting for someone else to give you permission, but getting past the gatekeepers and... Well, I mean, ultimately somebody did have to give me permission to do, yeah. this, to do this show, but yeah. they, they didn't give me permission to create it. I, you know, I, I wrote stuff as I had ideas you know, when I was just struggling hand to mouth as a stand-up and, and, you know, you have ideas, you write them down. And you kind of try to be prepared for any opportunity that does come your way. You know, if you're lucky enough to get a shot, you know, if somebody says, I'm going to give you a chance, you shouldn't say, okay, great, I'll get back to you with, um, I'll see if I come up with something. What you want to be able to do is if somebody says, okay, here's an opportunity, you go, great, here's this thing, hmm. right? And so I always wrote down ideas that I had, and so when... It was first. It was David Story, the uh, director, uh, and who became my executive producing partner in Corner Gas. He was the first one who came. He said to me, "Listen, the network is interested in doing a show with you." Because um, I had received the Gemini nomination for comedic performance the year before for a show I did on the Comedy Network, and so I think I was on their mind. And they said, "Do you have any ideas for shows?" And I said, "Well, I," I said to David when he asked, "I said, well, I." I wrote a treatment for a show about a gas station in Saskatchewan, but I don't know if anybody would be interested in that. And he said, well, tell me about it. I kind of gave him the pitch about the show. Yeah. He thought it seemed interesting. He told the executives in Toronto. They seemed interested, amazingly. Yes. So he, he just called me up again and said, listen, they, you know, flush that out some more because they really like they like They like the idea. They want to hear more about it. Yeah. So I already had the treatment written. I just had to sit down, flush it out some more. And um, 
yeah, and then went into meetings and we went, we went from there. But I'm a big believer in trying to be prepared in case a door does open for you. Yes. When it comes to inspiration, who or what is something you look to as a muse that keeps you going? I don't know. I mean, like I said, I I, I, I've never had a problem keeping going. You know, when I get up in the morning, generally my first thought is about, you know, something funny that I saw or something funny I want to try to do or, you know, I just, I get up in the morning and, and even when I was getting up in the afternoon, <laughs> uh, my first thought generally is something to do with show business and something to do with comedy, you know. It's just kind of where my attention and my focus is. I think the same way an athlete wakes up and, you know, their first thought is maybe to, they got to go out for, I don't know, do they run? I don't know what they do. <laughs> Talking through my hat. But uh, <laughs> they go out and do squats or something, throw a rock as far as they can. Do some I don't know what they do. Chase a rabbit. <laughs> Whatever the athletes do. Uh, it's out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> but they get up in the morning and their first thought is something about, you know, doing something physical, right? Yes. Um, it's kind of that way for, I think, you know, painters get up, they have an image in their head or whatever. For, m for me, I, I'm thinking about comedy and show business. I don't know why that is. Mm. It's just always kind of been that way for me. Is there a book that you would recommend or that you like to give to people as a gift that is a very important read for you and hopefully for somebody else? No. <laughs> <laughs> really, there isn't. Okay, that's fair. It would be great if, you know, <laughs> geez, uh, out, if... Are comic books books? Yes, because they are. That's they really are totally the vast books. majority of my uh, literary experience. Are you DC or Marvel? Much more Marvel than Whoa, DC. Whoa, you really? DC, yeah. What's your book then? Not that I have anything against DC. No, no, no. I'm just saying, looking through my history, okay. I was always, you know, I bought Marvel to DC about 10 to 1. Really? The only DC title that I kind of bought even semi-regularly yeah. was Batman. Yeah. Which one? Like Batman proper? Like the Dark Knight, yeah, like, or Detective Comics, or just Batman? kind of pre-Dark Knight. When I was a I kid, see. buying comic books yeah. regularly, yeah, yeah, you know, n I would usually buy Spider-Man. Uh -huh. I was very entertained by Spider-Man. Spider-Man was my f window into superheroes because there, there was, you know, the old Krantz animation Spider-Man Saturday morning cartoon. Yes, that was my holy lord. That's the greatest thing ever. Really? Guy swinging around with spider powers, yeah. beating up bad guys. Yeah, that was that was what my Super window. Friends? Were you a fan of Super Friends? I never saw Super Friends. I was a Super Friends boy. Again, two channels, right? <laughs> we didn't get the Super Friends. <laughs> so uh, Spider-Man was my first window into superhero. <laughs> yeah. And so I always had a soft spot for, for him. And I also liked the Brutes. I liked Hulk and the Thing. You know, people like these characters who just had... Really, they had one, one thing going for them, and that is they were just crazy strong. I was fascinated by that, too. Uh -huh. But that's why I, why I, well, I shouldn't say why I started drawing, but yeah. because I, you know, drew from the time anybody could remember. My sister just sent me a, drawings that I did when I, when I was, she said I hadn't turned three yet. Yeah. And I did a comic book of Moby Dick, because yeah. I'd heard somebody talk about the about Moby Dick, a guy right. fighting a whale, basically. Yeah. So I did my own little version of, and I, and I spelled everything phonetically. I was quite advanced. I don't know. Was it, my mother often said to me, she would say, you know, you were such a smart kid. What the hell what happened, happened to you? What happened to you? You were very bright as a youngster. That was a good roast. You're like, lady, I have a TV show. As we close <laughs> up, can you draw something for us, please? 
It'd be, what if I couldn't? Oh, man. What well, you just it? said. It all fell apart. Well, then. Big scam. I just made sure to hold you to the end. I'm like, okay, like he seems qualified. <laughs> you draw, think, doodle. It's like. That's all you can do with this paper. Yeah. You can't make any notes. No. You draw, think, doodle. <laughs> and then they look at all this it's extra like a fake garbage. YouTube channel. You could have all this extra space you could be drawing on. <laughs> I got to get on the phone to the think, doodle people because <laughs> this is a. This is some merchandising right there. You can make a corner gas pad. I like this. In bed with the YouTube people, right? They took <laughs> the kind of not really. All right, what would you like me to draw? I don't know. Maybe something that uh, was conjured up from this conversation we've just had. Is that too lofty? Spider-Man. <laughs> okay, right? There you go. Draw Spider-Man. Actually, no, is there copyright again? We, we, we don't adhere to any copyrights. We're not publishing want. it, right? No, that's right. Well, we, though we could. Would you ever want to like write for a comic book? I did. You did? When I was 20 years old. Yes. Started a publishing company called Windwolf Graphics. Yes. To create a comic book that me and my buddy Colin Alexen um, started called Existing Earth. And we, I was 20, he was 21. We created a, this comic book company because the way it started was I had an idea for an eight page filler that I thought we could maybe sell to Marvel. Yeah. Because sometimes they were looking for eight page fillers to put in the back of Savage Sword of Conan. So I said to my buddy Colin, who was home from university in Saskatoon, he was back in Tisdale for the summer, I said, let's go for coffee, I have this idea. He's a comic book guy like me. So I told him my idea, and he was like, oh, that's interesting. Next day he calls me, let's go for coffee again. He had overnight, he had flushed my little idea out into what could be an epic with legs that could go on forever. And I was like, uh, oh, great, now we'll never sell that. We're not going to sell a series to Marvel, right? So... I said, you know, I was always kind of entrepreneurial, so I said, now we've got to start a publishing company. So we did. So I would be, I was still living at home with my mom, yeah. and I would, I'd have to say to mom, you know, you might hear me on the phone at like three in the morning, because I'm calling England, I'm trying to, get, well, I'm talking to a dis distributor in England to try and get a deal. Through. What are you doing up there, talking on a phone in England? She didn't question you about the long distance fees? Kept track, I just said, keep track. Yeah. When the bill comes in and, you know. <laughs> I pay her back. Do you still draw often? You can often? edit out a lot of this. <laughs> How often you know, do you still, still draw now? It's still the thing. I used to get, my brothers and sisters used to bug me because when I drew as a kid, I always had my tongue flying around. And I'd always be like. Oh, yeah? And I had to, it was a conscious effort to, uh, to stop doing that, you know? Do you still watch animated series? Yeah. Which is your current fave? Simpsons are still my favorite. Yeah? Um, after all these years? After all these years. It's, and I'm fascinated, too. I keep waiting for the quality to drop off or something or for, for it to stop being fresh and funny to me. Yeah. And it just hasn't. It's just so funny all the time. But um, Bob's Burgers is taking a real run at it. Yes. Man, that's funny. So, so subtly, quietly funny. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because when I was watching the episode, the special sneak preview episode of this, I think that this show is on that level of quality. Is there any intention to try to get this beyond the Canadian borders? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, the notion of this being a show that could sell internationally mm -hmm. is uh, appealing. You know, Corner Gas, the live action show, did uh, well. We aired in 26 countries around the world. So, 
you know, I'm no schnook. I'm I'm all for uh, you know being able to produce a show in Canada that sells around the world. That's you know, I just always want to do it here. That's all. That's why my production company is called Sparrow Media because Sparrow is a bird that doesn't feel the need to fly south. So every time I see Sparrow Media come up at the end of something, I'm reminded of why why I do this stuff in Canada. I love that. That's why we have a little sparrow up there, animated. A little sparrow lamp fl flies up. It's a reminder all oh, the time. Oh, that. They can fly south, but they don't. But they choose not to. They don't, they don't feel the need to. I just realized, you know, I picked, oh, shit, I, I picked something with a lot of uh, webbing, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of detail. Yeah. I don't think I put them in a very good pose. <laughs> Kind of a goofy pose, but he's kind of like a weird hop as he's as he's shooting a web. But listen, you know, dun 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 dun. And if I didn't tell you who that was, you'd know it was Spider-Man, right? Totally. You go, who's that, Spider-Man? And very much evocative of that 1970s series that you oh. were speaking of. 60s. Was it the 60s? Yeah. There we go. Thank you very but much. But you can tell I'm, I was never a big background guy. I was like, I don't want to draw that's, a bunch of buildings. That's somebody else's job. Let somebody else. Totally. Even when we did Existing Earth. Yeah. My buddy Colin did most of the backgrounds. So it was like, you do the, yeah. you draw the buildings. Nice. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I appreciate that. My pleasure. I love sitting down. <laughs> well, stand up. I like sitting down. I'm a natural at this. You're so good at it. What did you think of Brent Budd's drawings? What did you think of my drawing? Rate and review this episode, and if you want to hear more from creatives who are making it in the entertainment industry, subscribe to Chaotic Creative.